Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast. I am Ivy, the younger sister, and my fact of the day is that I am so obsessed with symmetry that it drives me crazy that I have seven tattoos right now, because I always get my tattoos in pairs, one on each wrist, one on each thigh, one on each calf, and now I have a half sleeve, but my tattoo artist moved too far away for me to really go see him, and I don't trust anybody else to come near me with a needle. So now I only have one half sleeve and it's been bothering me for over a year now because I am now asymmetrical and I need another half sleeve to balance me out. I am Autumn, the older sister, and luckily I have no such issues because I have no tattoos and I will never have a tattoo. Why is that that you don't have any tattoos? Or is it like a body thing, like sensory stuff? Are you afraid of the pain? Or is it because we were raised that tattoos are not a thing that you do as a good Mormon kid? Ultimately, I have no tattoos for the same reason you do not read Harry Potter. Because everybody fucking does it. Anybody under the age of 40 has a tattoo. And I'm not going to be everybody under the age of 40. If I ever do anything, it's going to be like scarification. Because that's like cool and unique. I don't think you should do the scarification either because that's also starting to become more popular. I don't think there's any safe form of body modification if you're trying to be truly unique. By, by, like, by the time we're in our 80s and 90s, like everybody's going to be walking around with piercings and tattoos and colored hair. And it's just going to be like a bunch of old people with extreme body modification. If you want to be unique, you're going to have to go without any of those things, maybe. Freaking bastard stealing all the stuff. Making it normal. You know what I'm going to do? I'll, I'll go body modification. I'll go fucking like old ancient shit. I will like split my penis. I don't have a penis, but I will fucking get one. I will cut it down, split my penis, and there. Now I'll have body modification. Nobody else has. And since I'm a woman, I, I'm pretty sure, well, no. There might be transgendered people that could do this eventually too. Damn it. Yeah, there's no way to win. No, the only way for you to be unique is to not modify your body at all. You're going to be me and the Amish holding out. Yeah. Woo! Cause I'm pretty sure there's even Mormons that have tattoos. Like it's on the, it's on the down low. Pretty sure they keep them covered up, but I, I have seen a, a few tattoos on some Mormons. So yeah, it probably is just going to be you and the Amish. Ah, uh, sadness. Okay. Anyways, I have no segue to get into our topic today at all with that. So I'm just going to jump in. I'm just going to dive into the topic today. I know there is um, a segue because obviously you have no fucks left to give. And we are talking about <laughs> not having any fucks or having a limited supply of fucks and not of the sexual variety. That's true. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not of the sexual variety, though. I don't have those fucks to give right now. No, but you did talk about <laughs> splitting your imaginary penis. I don't know. This yeah. segue has. I'd have even less fucks to give. Yeah. This segue has gone a little bit sideways. I don't know. We tried. <laughs> This whole beginning of this episode has been pretty, pretty weird, but I guess it's because we have no fucks left. Neither of us. All the fucks are gone. All the fucks are gone. Okay, so today what we are talking about is the reality of reduced functioning. You know, we are called different functional, and the reality is, is if you are different functional, that also means that you typically have reduced functioning in the society 
we exist in. And it's really frustrating. Honestly, it is because you have things you want to do. You have things you need to do and have to do. And you can't because you just don't have enough left in you at the end of the day. And one of the really popular analogies out there, it was put out there in, I think, like 2003 by Christine. I cannot pronounce her last name because I've only read it. It's a Miserandino. And she was trying to explain lupus to her friend. And she was in a cafe and she grabbed these spoons and she was like, okay, it's like this. I only have 10 spoons. And so I vacuum and there's a spoon and I go to work and there's like three or four spoons and I drive and she's just kept saying, you know, and at the end of the day, I've used all my spoons. There are no more resources left, but there's still activities left. And I feel like spoon theory really explains that idea of reduced functioning. You only have so many resources and life requires more than you have. And I feel that applies to both chronic illness as well as mental illness or when you come from a trauma background. I get where they're coming from with the spoons theory, but the fact that the spoons irritates me. Maybe it's because I always do my dishes and I'm like, well, why don't you wash your fucking spoons? And I get maybe you don't wash your spoons because you have limited functioning, but I don't know, doing, keeping things clean is really important to me. So I, even if I have no spoons left, well, no, because I would never be in a position where I didn't have spoons left because I always wash my spoons. God damn it. I think we should call it a no fucks theory, which is, I guess, wildly inappropriate for people who don't like to cuss, but I relate more to that because that is definitely something I say on a routine basis is that I have no fucks left to give. I relate to that more than spoons. You know what? I don't even fucking like spoons. I will eat things with a fork or chopsticks as much as possible because I don't like spoons. I don't like having to wash the spoons because they spray you with water all the time. Stupid spoons. Can we call it the, can we call it no fucks theory instead? I know other people probably like spoons, but I don't. It's going to bother me. I don't want to talk about my life in terms of spoons. Yes. We will call it the uh, the no fucks theory. You have no fucks left to give. I, either way, what it is, is that you don't have enough resources. You can call it a spoon. You can call it a fuck. You can call it a spork. You can call it a fork. Whatever it is, you only have so many resources, whether these are time, whether this is money, whether this is physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy. You only have so much to give in any given day. And you have a lot of tasks that take it. You know, you have bills that need to be paid, jobs that need to be attended, kids or pets that need to be taken care of, dishes or spoons that need to be washed, and then shirts that need to be changed because the spoon splashed your shirt while you were washing it. And so when you are mentally ill or when you come from a trauma background, <clears throat> the reality with this also is that you may not have as many fucks or spoons as the other person. Because if you come from a very normative background and you won the genetic lottery where you have all the great genes and none of the bad ones, maybe you've got 10 spoons with which to deal with life. But when you come from a trauma background or you've got some fucked up genetics, you don't have that many fucks. You just don't. You've got maybe six or four or three. And so when life comes at you and the day says, okay, every day, just a typical basic day is going to cost you eight fucks. Well, you only had six to begin with. Where are you even supposed to get the other two? And the reality is too, I feel like with mental illness, the, the mental illness itself takes those resources from you. Like I experience anxiety. And for me, like those resources, part of what I feel like is I feel like a guinea pig, just like overgrowing my teeth. And so I'm just teething on all my fucks. I'm just teething them down into little splinters because I have these resources of energy and time and thought and you know what I invested it in? 
I invested in worrying about if I'm going to be homeless or if I'm going to, you know, be able to afford groceries this month or if my dog is going to die. There's no reason for any of these worries. But here I am trying to figure out all this, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if. And it takes so much of my energy. I feel like a guinea pig just teething them down into splinters. And then life comes calling and it's like, hey, this, this, you wanted to go to work today. That'll be four fucks, please. And I'm like, ah, I've only got a handful of splinters. Splintered fucks. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of like that. Maybe I'll start incorporating that that terminology into my day-to-day life instead of being like, I have no fucks to give. I'll be like, I have, (laughs) I have fuck splinters. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anxiety. I never thought about it in terms of fuck splinters. I like it though, but anxiety definitely gets me too. Cause you just spend all of your energy. All of your resources are just spent on worrying or just like your mind racing. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm stressed about. I just know that I'm stressed out and I know that I'm anxious, but I can't even find something to focus on being anxious about because my brain is branching out in a million different directions to be stressed out about as many things as possible in one go. And then you can't focus enough to get anything done. But, you know, depression is equally as horrible, but just in a different way. Whereas with anxiety, you're that guinea pig that's just like teething down on those fucks. But then with depression, it's like every tiny thing requires such a tremendous amount of energy. And you already have little to no fucks to begin with, with depression, because you're numbed out and nothing matters and you don't care and it all feels pointless. But then every single thing requires so much energy. So to somebody who is not depressed, Brushing your teeth is not even something you have to think about at all. You could probably go through your whole morning routine and be on autopilot and not have to think about it. But with depression, even getting yourself out of the bed in the morning so that you can go pee takes like 10 fucks. And you might only have six, but now just peeing takes 10. And somehow you have to find some way to get enough fucks to brush your teeth and brush your hair and get dressed and go to work and eat food at some point, even though it just is going to taste like sawdust or fuck splinters. And then you have to like interact with people. There's just so many things that you have to do. And depression just zaps you of any energy or any desire to do anything. Cause it just all feels fucking pointless. Everything feels pointless. So you're spending energy on things that don't feel like they matter whatsoever. And that you're just going to have to do those same things again tomorrow every day for the rest of your life. It's true. I mean, honestly, I'll admit it. And and maybe other people that have been depressed have dealt with this too. If you get in a serious, significant depressive episode and you're laying in bed and you're contemplating having to get out of it, I have honestly thought about peeing on myself. I am very grateful. I have never been to that point, but I have honestly thought about just pissing on myself because the amount of energy it takes. Why? Why? Why should I even bother? And I think another one like I deal with is, again, I'm autistic spectrum, as I like to apparently bring up all the bloody time for whatever reason. But with that, I feel like for me, autism is like my fucks are a foreign currency and the exchange rate sucks. So most people, they're like, oh, you know, I'd like to go to a party. This takes two fucks. Well, my fucks are a foreign exchange is what's happening here. It's a different type of currency. And I'm like, okay, that will be oh, that'll be 43 of mine. 
So it takes 43 of my fucks to buy two normal people fucks. And so I'm like, holy crap, I don't even know I'm going to get through the day with this kind of exchange rate. That's what it is for autism with me. I just, they don't translate well. They don't exchange well. And so the limited amount I do have, they do not go very far at all in society because the exchange rate sucks. I know, Ivy, you you deal with, I wouldn't say you're you've ever been diagnosed with attention deficit di- disorder, but I think you definitely have some ADD traits and some ADD symptoms. What's that like as far as our fuck system goes? I'm still trying to figure that out because I only recently have come to terms with the idea that I might have ADD because even though I've been relatively accepting of, because I try not to stigmatize mental health stuff and I've been relatively accepting of the mental health issues that I have, I think because Pretty much everybody that I knew when I was a kid, just everybody got started getting diagnosed as ADD and ADHD that I started developing uh, an aversion to even hearing that that term or whatever. But I have only recently started thinking, OK, maybe maybe I might because I have a real hard time staying focused and concentrating on anything that does not intensely interest me. And I have a hard time putting words together into phrases. And I feel like a bumbling moron who's just like absent-minded all the time but i don't know intensely creative at the same time i don't know i'm going off on a tangent again which i understand is maybe a symptom of being add i don't know i don't know if i am i don't know if i'm not all i know is i'm very confused about a lot of things lately about myself that don't fit in with anything else but uh, i i guess it would be if I'm ADD and I was trying to decide what it is with fuck budgeting, how, how to describe it, it would be like an inability to, to budget one's fucks because there's all of these things that need to get done and should get done. And you're aware of that, but you end up procrastinating on it a lot because there's these other things that you are interested in doing that maybe you're not as, productive, quote unquote, but it's what you would rather be doing. And that thing that you would rather be doing is the only thing that you can consistently concentrate on. Um, I have a hard time being efficient with my time. I'm very inefficient in general. Like if I go to the grocery store, even if I have a list, I won't have like a system for going through the grocery store because I will not have organized my list And then I'll realize, oh, well, I'm all the way over here now, but the thing that I needed to get next on my list is on the other side of the store. So I'm really inefficient with my time and my energy. Um, But if it's something that I'm really interested in, I can be hyper-focused on it for long periods of time. So lately my thing has been web comics, which is, you know, just basically digital comic books or uh, manga. And even though I'm having a hard time focusing on anything else or getting other things done in any sort of efficient manner, I can sit there and read those web comics for like five hours straight and completely lose track of time. And then I feel like a jackass because I didn't get anything done. And I feel guilty for procrastinating because I think about all the things that I should do, but I can't focus on those things or do those things. So I don't know. Is that a, is, is that a viable description? I, I don't know. I don't, I do. I still don't know if I have ADD. I think it sounds viable to me. I mean, I feel my boyfriend is is very ADD minded from what I've read and then from what I've heard from other people. It is very much that you're not getting 
rewarded correctly. Your brain's not rewarding you correctly. So you're always seeking out those things to get the rewards you need to keep functioning. And so, yeah, just you can't really budget your fucks correctly because your mind is not able to really complete those tasks that aren't going to reward you for it. The most frustrating thing, you know, whatever you deal with, whether it's anxiety, depression, ADD, autism, or any other of the disorders or no disorder and you just come from a dysfunctional home or a traumatic home, I feel like when you do struggle with functioning, it's extremely frustrating because you have to end up sacrificing your own priorities in order to beat, meet the basic necessities of society. Because when you look at functioning, the idea of functioning, where this really comes from is actually the DSM. And they, that's part of how they diagnose is like, oh, is this person functional? And they have this system set up. You know, are they able to go to their job? Do they maintain hygiene? Uh, do they have appropriate social interactions? And there's all these levels of societal interaction that you have to meet in order to be considered functioning. And outside of that, I feel like that's really true just for the reality of life, because I don't know about you, but I enjoy having shelter. I enjoy eating. And because of how our society is set up, in order for me to have shelter and eat, I have to go to work. I have to earn money. I have to look appropriate in order to go to work and earn money. And so that's functioning that's necessary. But because I have limited fucks, because I struggle with these disorders and because I come from that traumatic home, I am limited in what I can spend. And so I feel like for me, I often end up spending all of my fucks on things I don't want to do. I don't want to go to work. I don't want, you know, to look presentable for the rest of society. I don't want to meet a lot of these societal expectations. But if I don't, I'm going to suffer. And so I end up spending all of my fucks on what society asks from me. And I've got nothing left for myself. Yeah, this is something that's been a topic of focus for me lately. In a lot of ways, I feel like I've sold my soul in order to be considered functional and productive by societal standards. Like I spent so many years just trying to mentally and emotionally keep my head above water because I struggled so much with just everything going on inside my own head. I struggled with my, my trauma, with my PTSD, with my bipolar disorder. Like I was just a mess and a train wreck and people treated me like I was a mess and a train wreck because I was, I had a lot of crazy and even trying to control the crazy was required so much effort for me that I, I was barely functional in day-to-day -day life. And I've worked really hard on that because for me, it wasn't like the picture of success when it comes to like money and possessions and things like that. But I wanted people to stop treating me like I was incompetent and like I was weak and like I was crazy and broken. Like I wanted people to stop treating me like that. And I wanted to be able to feel confident and I wanted to seem strong. And I wanted to seem like I really had my shit together and I worked really hard on that. And now I'm at this space in my life where overall I do in, in spite of what I was saying about like the being obsessed with my web comics and things like that and having a hard time with procrastination, I am overall really functional. Like I'm consistent with making sure that I get to work and keeping up with my routines and keeping my home clean and keeping myself well put together. And so now I'm doing all of those things that are indications of, of somebody who's being productive and successful in life and seeming very responsible and all of those things. And I'm realizing that 
even though I did all of those things and I'm doing well with that stuff, there's nothing, there's no energy left for me now to do the things that I really want to do. And I'm having a, a very hard time with that because in spite of the fact that I've gotten healthier and I'm capable, I guess, of more than I used to be, I still am limited functioning. I still have these issues. I still have trauma. I still have PTSD. I still have bipolar disorder. Maybe I have, have ADD. I don't know. But I know that I'm limited functioning in a lot of ways. So even though I've managed to be productive and to do those things that society says are important and I have this strong work ethic and shit now, I've had to sacrifice things like my creativity. Like I have not done anything self-expressive or artistic in such a long time. Like I have my whole life, I've been wanting to write a book. There's never enough energy for it because before all of my energy was focused on just not being crazy. And now all of my energy is focused on, well, you have to go to work and you have to pay your rent and you have to be responsible. And you, you know, it, you base your self-esteem on how hard you can push yourself before you run yourself into the ground and collapse. I still am having a hard time budgeting out my, my fucks in that sense. I'm still having a hard time finding time for me to to be myself and meet societal standards. And I just don't think it's possible. So I'm, I've been lately really trying to reprioritize what the fuck I'm doing and how my fucks are spent. You know, I know for me, like I'm only six years older than you, but I, I am going to be 40 this year and I'm starting to feel it in my body and I'm starting to feel it in my life. And I felt like, you know, even just a decade ago, I felt like there was so much time and I had so much before me that I could do. And now I really start to feel that time is narrowing down and my ability to do things is narrowing down even further. And honestly, for me, I found I've had to compromise a lot. I've wanted to write a novel. I, I would love to do that. I wanted to create this amazing homestead. I wanted to have an organized house where everything was in its place and everything had a place. I, I've wanted to do so many things with my life. And I found as I'm hitting 40 that I have had to compromise a lot. I've had to say, you know, this is not something I'm going to achieve. This is not something I can have. This is not something that no matter how hard I work, I will ever be able to achieve. And for me, that's really, really sad. It's a reality, though, that I've had to live with, that I've had to learn basically how to budget the resources I do have. And maybe I will get going with my homestead here and things will start going easier and I will eventually have time to write a novel or do something along those lines. But at this point, I have not invested any energy or concern into it. Because for me, what I've learned is I have a limited amount of resources. And the reality is, is that having a limited amount of fucks is like having a limited income you have got to learn to budget. You may want to go out to eat every day. You may want to have that pretty dress. You may want to have the nice car. You may want to have the latest gadget. But if your income does not provide for that, what you're going to end up with in is a lot of debt and a lot of hurt. And it's exactly the same when it comes to living with mental illness or living with that trauma background. You only have so many resources. And if you go out and you try to spend on everything and you're like, you know, I, well, I, I want to write this novel and I want to go to work and I want to pay my bills and I want to have organization and I want to participate in the community and I want to have meaningful social interactions, you don't have enough to spend on that. And if you try to spend on that, you're going to end up in debt. And what that kind of debt looks like for people with mental illness is typically is typically life-shattering, honestly. It, it's mental breakdowns. It's complete inability to function. It is 
it is ending up homeless and it is ending up not being able to feed yourself and it is ending up not being able to take care of yourself because you get so burnt out. You you only have so much. And when you overspend, it's not necessarily like money where you can just pick up a few more hours at work. It's it's life. You know, how do you work to get more emotional energy? And so for me, there's been a lot of compromise and learning to budget. And and I think that's part of what it comes down to is learning to budget, learning to figure out what your priorities are in life so that you can take the limited amount of resources you have and invest them as what is truly important to you. You know, it may mean that you don't have, using that financial analogy, it may mean that you don't have the nice car, but maybe you do have a loving home, or it may mean that you don't have the wardrobe you want, but maybe it does mean you get to afford to have a child. You know, it's learning to make those compromises and learning to budget. And I think that's kind of what I'd like to look at today is looking at your priorities and figuring out what they are so that you can start to budget your fucks accordingly on your limited budget of fucks. Can I make a, a note really quick there before we get too much into what it, what goes into prioritizing and budgeting thing, budgeting out your energy and your resources? I just want to say to everybody out there who is like us and does struggle with limited functioning, we live in a society that tells us that anybody can do anything if they work hard enough. And I'm sorry, as nice of an idea as that is, I don't think that's particularly realistic. Some people genuinely function better than other people. And I used to beat up on myself a lot because I would see these people and I'm like, oh, they have kids and yet they still manage to write a novel. How, you know, how is it that, you know, I don't have kids and I have you know, fewer responsibilities and yet I can't sit down and write a book like I want to or invest myself in these artistic things and self-expressive things that I want to. I am literally lower functioning. Not everybody is rich. If we're talking about limited fucks as being like limited income, not everybody is born rich. Some people are and some people aren't. And some people are capable of functioning at a higher level. So for them, working really hard gets them a certain amount of output. But for other people who do struggle with mental health or physical handicaps or things like that, working really hard does not produce the same output. No matter how hard I work, no matter how much of myself I give, I'm not going to be able to produce the same amount of output as people that I know who, who are just, they're capable of being complete workaholics and they can just pour themselves into whatever it is that they're doing. And honestly, I don't even know that I think that's the healthiest thing. It's not for my place to judge, but to anybody out there who is like Autumn and I and you struggle with lower functioning, try not to beat up on yourself or compare yourself to people who seem like they're getting way more done. I, I understand that feeling of envy and shame because you see other people who seem like they're doing so much more or so much better than you are. But keep in mind, some of that is just a curated image that people present. And some of that is that there are people who are just capable of functioning at a higher level and you may not be one of them, but that doesn't invalidate the effort that you make and the things that you do accomplish. It's just, you have to budget differently than somebody who was, who was wealthy. That's just the way that it is. Regardless of whatever my diagnoses happen to be, one of the labels I will definitely claim and that I definitely resonates with me is neurodivergent. 
I very much feel that I am neurodivergent. I am not typically wired. I think differently. I act differently. I behave differently. Whether that be my diagnosis, whether that be my genetics, whether that be my raising, whatever it is, I act differently. And what that means is that I don't fit in with society. I am divergent from society. So what that leads to is a clashing of priorities. What my priorities are and what I am capable of does not mesh with society. And so I want to add on to what Ivy says with that is that if you are neurodivergent, if you do struggle with mental illness, if you do come from a traumatic background, if you are different than others, some of this lack of functioning and some of the issues you're going to run into aren't yours. It's not your problem per se. It's not your issue per se. It's the clash of what you are capable of with what society expects of you. In another societal setup, in some fictional world where everything was so much better than this one, the way you function would be validated. It would be approved. It would be acknowledged. It would be revered. Your creative talents, your ability to think outside of the box, your ability to hyper-focus, your ability to create certain things that nobody else has ever seen or thought or heard of before would be amazing. But that's not true in the society we live in. In the society we live in, there are scripts and there are roles and there are blocks and there are expectations. And this, I really feel, is where the reduced functioning comes in so much is because we are trying to function in a society that does not fit with who we are. And the choices they give us are to completely change who we are and to be one of everybody else or to try to change society. But when you're already struggling, where does the energy to change society come from? You know, it can be a little here, a little there, but society is a thing. It's a concept. It's a universe. It's a reality onto itself, and you're trying to change reality. So I just want to add on that some of this reduced functioning comes from that clash, that discordance between who you are and what society needs from you and what you have to do in this society to exist and live. And that is why when I say we need to start looking at what your priorities, I really feel that where this starts with is looking at the messages that society has given you. Because we are given so much propaganda, we are given so much information, we are given so much normative mores from youth, from infancy, from the womb, for Pete's sake, about what's normal or what's expected or what just is. And the reality is all these are constructs. They're constructs that may not apply to you at all. And so I really say that starting your your prioritizing and identifying what is important to you and what you should be spending your fucks on starts with taking a really deep examination of some of these societal expectations and saying, you know, okay, this is a societal expectation. And I get that society wants me to do this. Do I want to do this? Is this important to me? Do I really need to invest my fucks into this concept? So let's look at a few of what those what those are. So since we're looking at society and the, uh, the things that society tells us should be a priority, let's start with one that everybody has, has heard of, everybody's pretty aware of. And that's the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. I, I don't know if this is as common now. Uh, I haven't heard it in a while, but I know growing up, 
one of the the common things that they would say, you know, anything that was like peer pressure, it's like, oh, well, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you? Well, and I look around me at the way society operates, and I'm like, apparently so. Apparently, tons of people are willing to jump jump off into, you know, jump off this bridge with everybody else, and they're just jumping off into debt, not just in terms of their their energy, you know, running themselves ragged at jobs that may or may not be fulfilling to them, and and pouring themselves into all of these things all the time, but jumping into debt financially too in terms of paying for education and buying you know big houses it seems like everybody wants a gigantic fucking house now and everybody wants these luxury cars and the newest tech and and all of that stuff but it's why why do we want those things it's because society has told us that we should want those things it's because the advertisements have told us, oh, these things are, these things make you more valuable. These things make you more impressive. This is, you know, this is all for your benefit. And look at how impressed everybody will be because of the things that you own. I know um, one of the things that I always think about with this is, so my boyfriend, he grew up when he was a kid, he grew up mostly just middle class. And then when he went into high school, his family moved to a really wealthy area and he really struggled to adapt because where he had grown up originally kind of more middle-class neighborhoods is that people would get things like, you know, dirt bikes and ATVs or boats or whatever, and, or you know, sports cars. And they would have so much fun with those things and they would beat them up and they'd get them dirty and you know they would have a lot of fun with them but then they moved into these this wealthy area and all of a sudden yeah everybody had all of these toys is what he refers to them as the ATVs the dirt bikes the boats the fancy cars all of that stuff they would have all of these things but they just had it to show off to other people and so they could you know, compare themselves to other people and be like, oh, my boat is more expensive or my boat is bigger than yours or whatever, but they wouldn't even use those things for enjoyment. They weren't getting any like life value out of them. It was all just to impress everybody else. So it's like uh, keeping up with the Joneses idea is part of the, the biggest scam that society tries to pull over us, pull over on us. And a lot of times it's successful when society is telling you and everything is telling you that your value is based on how much money you make, how many hours you're willing to work, how many extracurricular activities your kids are involved in, what college you went to, what possessions you have. That's when you've got that coming in at you all the time, that's really, really hard to ignore. It, it is. And I feel that societal expectation is out there. I mean, for example, like those big houses and stuff, you know, a lot of people I know have been ashamed to say they live in a trailer or they live in a trailer park. But the reality is, is they're wonderful people and they have a wonderful family that is so happy and has time together and they enjoy each other and they have so much meaning in their lives. As opposed to this other family who may be living in this large mansion that never talks. This idea of keeping up the Joneses that what we have and what we own somehow defines us. I think isn't really true. And I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but I didn't hear the word toys applied to things like four wheelers and the like until I moved to Montana. And that word pisses me off to no end. It pisses me off to no end. It pisses me off because people perceive them as toys. Do you know what a four wheeler is for me? 
It's a tool necessary to my functioning on the land. Do you know what a boat is to some of the people I've met? It's a tool necessary to feed their family because they use it for fishing. It, just the very fact that we apply the label toys to these, these things is, is crazy to me. The idea that what you own somehow defines who you are. If this is a concept that's important to you and what you own matters, then invest all you can into this and be willing to go into debt for it. But I do ask that you really look at it and say, you know, is it important, these ideas that they've told me that I need to keep up with somebody? I think one of the biggest things for me is the idea of a showroom house, of having everything always clean and pretty. You know, the idea that everything always needs to be vacuumed and there should be no dust everywhere and there should be a place for everything and everything in its place. And I feel this is a definite societal expectation. I mean, how many of us feel shame thinking like, oh, you know, my house is dirty and somebody comes over and we have to explain ourselves and we have to make excuses for why there's toys on the floor or hair on the couch or whatever it happens to be. And I think this is a horrible societal message. And I think this one really, really, really started back in the probably the 1950s or 60s, there's actually a song called Somewhere That's Green from Little Shop of Horrors. If you haven't heard that, we'll post that on our resources page on our website. But this song is this woman who's stuck in the inner city. She's in a bad relationship and she's looking through all these home and garden magazines and she's fantasizing about this dream life about, oh, how how much better things would be if I had this perfect manicured lawn and if I had all of this furniture that was covered in plastic and there was all this cleanliness and sterilization. That is how they sold it to us. That somehow happiness and success means a clean house. I, I don't know about that. For me, that is so not true. You know, I, I don't care that much if there's a couple sticks or some dirt on the floor. I live in the middle of the country. I go outside once and I come back in and there's mud everywhere. I'm not going to stop and spend hours of my day cleaning up every little spill and every little dust. I don't have the energy for that. And having a clean, perfect house where everything is in order doesn't matter. You know, it, it is important to me that I don't have pestilence, as I like to term it. You know, I don't let any food sit around where it's rotting. But if you were to come into my house, there's going to be dog fur everywhere everywhere and there's going to be dirt and sticks and debris all over my floor that's just the reality of it because i don't care about that you know society says your house needs to be clean if you're successful your house needs to be clean if you're happy and, and i think that's a lie i really do for me that's not important at all yeah i do want to highlight that though that there's there's things you look at with society and it's like, that makes absolutely no sense. But then there may be things with society that do resonate with you. Maybe not for the reasons that society says, because, well, Autumn doesn't really care about that stuff. For me, having a really clean, organized home is super important. But why? I, it's not like I have people come over. I'm really introverted. And Calvin and I are very private people. We don't have guests. I have nobody to show off to. But for me, keeping a really clean home is important because the inside of my head is so disorganized and scattered that having things neat and orderly in my environment helps with my function. It helps me to feel less anxious when there's not clutter everywhere because there's not as many things to distract me. It helps me to have a place for everything because if my, if my keys always hang on the same hook on the same wall, I'm not going to be running around late for work every morning because I can't find my keys. 
So there are some things that society says are really important that you may decide are important for you. And that's totally fine. And I mean, even if even if it's important to you for the same reason society says it should be, we don't want to give the impression that we're just judging people that that do try to you know ride that wave of what society says is or is not important. But we also want to highlight you know, some of the things that society says are important to do. You may find that you are in alignment with that, but for a completely different reason. I mean, if I had a yard, though, I would not give two shits about keeping it perfectly landscaped. I think that is such a waste of time and money. I mean, when uh, Calvin and I do buy land someday, we plan on only taking care of enough space around our house so that we don't end up with a bunch of bugs in it. We're probably not even gonna have grass. We're probably gonna put rocks or something down just to make sure the bugs stay out. But neither of us cares about having a manicured lawn. That's not important to me because that has nothing to do with my function. I don't care about that. But keeping my home inside of it clean and orderly, that's super important to me because that's an important factor for me in being able to be more functional. That's that's really true. And that's what we're saying with all these things as we look at some of these societal expectations. We're not saying these expectations are wrong and we're not saying you shouldn't pursue them. What we are saying is you should examine them. Most of these are ideas that we have just lived with that have been ingrained to us that most of us don't even think to question because it's just a reality for us. I think anymore in this day and age, uh, beauty, or I guess it would be image is what they call it now, is one that most of us just take for granted, that our image is important, that how people see us is important. And this is something that's really been out there with uh, social media. How you look to others is so important. And you have to look like you're beautiful and you have to look like you're positive and you have to look like you're growing and you have to look like you're whatever it is you're trying to fit into. That idea of image is one that society is really driving us right now. The image is important that you should invest time and energy and resources into maintaining your image. And I'm not a big buyer into this one. This is one I've looked at and been like, yeah, fuck that. I don't got time for this shit. You know, some people do, but I also think this is one that society, it really, it really skews this. The, the way we're presenting image, I think, is so false right now. This is definitely one that I've noticed. It's just gotten outrageous. The longer that social media has existed, the more curated these images are of people. The more we're using filters and Photoshop to the point where pretty much everybody looks the same. And on top of that, I mean, it, everybody's looking the same because they're all using the same filters. They're all softening all of their lines to the point where you would not be able to recognize that person in real life. They're all using, everybody's using Photoshop to make their bodies look like these impossible standards. I don't know how many pictures I've seen of women with impossibly tiny waists. And when I say impossibly, I mean impossibly. I'm a massage therapist. I know anatomy. I see some of these images and I'm like, if that is actually what your waist looked like, you would have no organs. You would have no organs. You would have no rib cage. You would have no muscle. There's literally not room there. So these, these images that we're seeing, and even though we know it's fake, a lot of times we still get sucked into it. We still get sucked into the idea that like, oh, that person's way prettier than me, or that person you know, has way nicer clothes than me, or look at how often that person goes on vacation. I follow several 
influencers on Instagram that actually point out how many of these things are fake and you can fake anything. It's not just changing the way your face and body look with Photoshop and filtering. It's pretending that you're on vacation by just being good enough with Photoshop that you can put a fake background in there. You can buy digital clothes to put on pictures of yourself. That's a thing now. There are artists out there that are making thousands upon thousands of dollars because people are buying digital images of clothing that they can put over pictures of themselves to make it look like they have designer clothes. So we hear it a lot. I don't think that it gets, that we really absorb it, but you hear it a lot, you see it a lot, even on social media, which is even more ironic, that what you're seeing is a curated image and what you're seeing is somebody's highlight reel. It is not real. And I think that's what makes it this one of the most damaging of these societal expectations is that we're giving this idea that everybody should be looking a certain way and having these certain things and going on these vacations or whatever. And these, a lot of these people aren't even doing that, but they're able to create the image on social media that they are. They're able to create this image that they are perfect and their lives are perfect and they have all this money and all that, even if that's not the case. And even though we know that, we still look at, a, at those pictures and we think, oh, that person's doing so much better than I am. That person is so much better than I am. Why am I not like that? Why am I such a loser? Why am I so incompetent? Why am I so ugly? Why am I so fat? And we get up in our heads about these things. This is one of those ones that with the societal expectations, I look at and I'm like, no, this is purely damaging. Because a lot of the images that we're being presented with are not even real. To some degree, people have always faked images, but this is, it's at a whole different level now. And that's what makes it so damaging is, and especially during that period of time with, with COVID where we were all trapped inside, because you're not even getting that reality check of going out into the world and seeing real people. You, all you're seeing is shit that's on social media or on TV. And all of those things are carefully curated to look a certain way. And it's a very false image. So this one is one that I see as being just almost completely damaging and very little benefit to it. Uh, aside from, you know, maybe if there's artistic value to it like some you know there's some of those uh pages out there where people do really elaborate makeup and things like that and that's their form of self-expression i think it's cool that social media can be used for things like that sharing your art form but just day-to-day -day life filtering yourself like that i mean that's not that's not real it gives us all a false image and it makes us all feel shitty about ourselves because we're not matching this fantasy ideal I think with image like that, that's kind of the quintessential. It's the boiled down bits of societal expectations. And the reality is societal expectations, a lot of these are impossible. Like we talk about impossible beauty expectations, but there's a lot of impossible societal expectations. And I think social media and the amount of technology we have is the first time in ever that we could actually meet these expectations because we can Photoshop and we can lie and we can do all this. And so that's what this is. This is your way of saying, look, I'm meeting societal expectations. And it's unreal because the expectations that are placed on us by society are unreal.
And so in order to meet them, you have to lie. You, you really do in a lot of these cases because society has these just overarching expectations for all of us. Whether you have mental illness or whether you're normative, there's a lot of expectations we're not just going to meet up to. And I think society really gets into our lives too with the expectations of what you should do with your life. I think one of the biggest ones out there is kids. And, and maybe this isn't as big in the cities. I don't know. But I know in rural areas, that's still the big thing. You know, it's, you're still supposed to have the, the American dream of the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids, which is always weird to me because I'm like, why do you want a half kid running around? Like, which half do you want? Are you splitting it vertically? Are you splitting it horizontally? Are you just cutting it off into body pieces and there's like two arms and a head running around? I don't know. 2.5 kids is weird to me. You just show up at the hospital at the nursery and be like, I don't want the whole kid. Can I just have the head and like the left foot? That is really disturbing yes. when you think about it. That might have to do with finances. Like, I can't afford to put a whole kid through college, but maybe just this little quarter of a kid. I don't know. Do, do, col that, do, do colleges charge less tuition if it's only half a person? <laughs> I think so. I, I bet they do. I bet that's the whole reason behind the 2.5 kids. Maybe. Now I figured it out. I feel, I, I feel like that should be true. I, I do. That, that should definitely be the case. You should get that tuition breaks if you're not, if you're, if you're not a whole person. <laughs> it's it's really though like joking aside i mean society does expect you to have kids they come in and they're like oh you should have children i know i had a surgery so that i would not have kids i knew as a teenager i never wanted kids i knew given my issues and what i had been in through my life i would not be a good mother i would be resentful and because i have issues controlling my behaviors i would end up abusive i would get overwhelmed and i would be abusive and i knew this and i did not want children and i did not want the need put on me by children and so i said you know i'm going to go in i'm going to get a procedure i'm going to make sure i can never have children and they tried to talk me out of it and they tried to counsel me like oh someday you'll change your mind or maybe you want kids or you don't want to cut it off you've never had them I'm sorry. I know what I want. When I got this procedure done, I was in my 30s. I had known for 20 years of my life through many relationships, through many periods of growth that I did not want children. This was something that had never changed in me. And yet society has this such huge expectation that even the medical field was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe you should try having kids. Really? You want me to have a kid so I can abuse it? You want me to have a kid so that when it gets start crying at night and I am at the end of my rope, I shake it and I kill it? Are, are you just hoping, you know, for sociopathic pleasure out of that death or hoping to put more guilt on me because now I've ended somebody's life with a behavior I couldn't control? You don't get to choose this, but society says that. They get all up into you about kids. And I, I don't know, maybe it's not the same in city areas. Like I said, I've mostly been in rural areas. I would still say it's the same in city areas, even though in major metropolitan areas, people tend to have fewer kids. And here, people don't generally have as many kids, but there's still the expectation that you're going to have kids, even though people have fewer kids and they wait until a little later in life when their career is established and they bought a house or, or whatever. But there's still that expectation that you're supposed to have kids. And Calvin and I don't want kids. Um, I came to that conclusion a few years ago. Calvin has always known that he didn't want kids. And yet still, most people that I talk to about it, they ask, oh, when are you guys going to have kids? Well, we're not going to. Oh, you guys will change your mind. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, it would be dangerous for me physically to have children because of some health problems that I have. Oh, but you could adopt. 
okay, but I don't want to. And Calvin, it, I, I love Calvin, but Calvin hates kids. He doesn't relate to them. He didn't really like kids when he was a kid. And he's awkward with kids and he doesn't want to be a dad because he's a very independent person and he does not want a dependent and he doesn't want all of the expense. And he and I are the same state of mind on this, that the world is vastly overpopulated. We don't want to add to that. And honestly, I don't like the state of the world the way that it is. I don't want to bring a kid into this world because I don't know what it's going to be like when they're in it, when they're my age, because the world is progressing at such a rapid rate. And so much has changed just in, in the 34 years that I've been alive. I don't trust it. I wouldn't want to bring a kid into this world now. Even if I desperately wanted kids, I still wouldn't do it because I don't trust the direction that the world is going in. And yet people are constantly telling us, oh, but you should have kids. And the thing that I hate hearing the most, and I do hear this one the most, is, oh, but you should have kids. You'd make such beautiful children. Why the fuck is that a reason to have kids? It doesn't matter if we would create aesthetically appealing children it doesn't matter. But that is the most common thing that I hear. Oh, you guys should have kids because they'd be so beautiful. What the fuck kind of a reason is that? You know, at least when people are like, oh, you should have kids because you're both really smart and your kid would be really smart. Okay. I, I guess I kind of understand that more if you're hoping that the kid is going to improve the world somehow by, you know, inventing something amazing or whatnot but just being like no you would create beautiful children that's why you should have them that's a stupid fucking reason to have kids i'm sorry it just is but yeah it, there's all of this pressure to have kids when you don't want them you don't want them and people should not try to tell you that you should have them if you do want kids and you're capable of being an amazing parent by all means do that i have a really close friend who she's a single mom and she is amazing with her son. He is going to grow up to be such a cool person. I know he is because she is a phenomenal mother. I would not be able to be the kind of mother that she is. And I just don't trust the way that the world is going. So I don't want them. But people almost demand that you have children, whether you want them or not. And that's so ingrained in us for so long, because that's always been the thing. It's just, you need to create more people. We're always trying to build our population. To what end, I don't know, but that's the way it's always been. And now the reason why it becomes so detrimental when you are having so many kids, it's like back in the day, you had 10 kids. You'd be lucky if two of them lived. Now you have 10 kids and chances are all 10 of those kids are probably gonna make it to adulthood. So it, the reasoning for having a bajillion kids now, I, or even just the pressure to have kids at all, that's one I, I just don't understand at this point at all. And I, again, this is one of those societal expectations that maybe it resonates with you and you want children and you've always wanted children and you're prepared to have children and you'd be an excellent parent and you would help you know, the world move forward into a better direction because you're creating progeny that can help us do that. But I really feel that this expectation is so integral to the way we think that a lot of people don't even think about it. That's just what you do. You just have kids. And, and I, I've met parents out there that either they, they, I think a lot of them just didn't think about it. That was just what you did. You just got married and you had kids. What else was there in life? And they were horrible parents, not because they were horrible people, 
but because they were not prepared to be parents, because they didn't want to be parents. This wasn't a choice that they actively went and said, you know, I've looked at it and I've decided I would like to be a parent. I would like to have a child. I would like to support someone for the next 18 to, you know, 60 years, depending on what that child is like. They just did it because it was expected of them. And once they had that reality in front of them, that was not a reality they wanted. And they did the best with it they could, but a lot of times it's not the best possible life. It's not the best possible life for the parent and it's not the best possible life for the kid. So again, this is not us saying don't have kids. It's us saying, think about it. Think about this expectation that society is giving. Oh, you should just have kids. Okay, do you want to have a child? That's what you need to be asking yourself. Do you want to have a child? And I think another thing with that that we hear a lot too is education. And and I'm I would like to think that with all the student loan debt issues out there that more of us are realizing that education is not it's not what society's making it out to be. It really isn't. I, I've got two hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. That's my reality. Do you know why I got a master's in mental health counseling? Because I was fucked in the head. I should have gotten therapy. I should have gone the route my sister did and done a shit ton of self-help books and therapy. And I would have spent so much less, but I didn't know what to do. And the expectation I had when I was young was you go to college. This was a expectation that I did not question. I just came out of a fucked up household. I was reeling and society said, hey, you should get a college degree. That's how you'll figure out your future. And so I did it. And I, with debt, that's ruined my life. I am never going to pay off that debt. In a few years, like another decade, it's going to possibly be forgiven. And that's going to count as income on me. I have no clue how I'm going to pay those taxes. I don't make enough money anywhere near that to pay those kind of taxes on that. I, I think it's one of the best things in my life that I was able to ask Ivy. I was like, hey, she came to me when she was younger. And she's like, you know, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to go ahead and get my my psychology degree. I'm going to go into college and get and my bachelor's in psychology. And I was like, don't. I beg you, Ivy, please stop and think about this and ask yourself, is this what you want? And I explained to her what I've been through and I explained to her the observations I had made and she chose not to. Yeah, I, I'm never fully sure why she chose not to, but I was so happy that she did, that I was the cautionary tale that she was like, oh, fuck that. I mean, I feel bad that you ended up being a cautionary tale for me, but it wasn't just you. It was also like other friends of mine that I saw go to college and get these degrees and then they either couldn't work in their field or they couldn't make enough income to pay off their student loan debt. And I was, because I am a procrastinator, um, <laughs> I was a little late to the game. I, I dropped out of high school and took my GED when I was 16 and I thought I'm going to start school right away. And then I didn't. And then when I was 18, I got my first full-time job at the jail and I was like, I'm too incapacitated and to I, I consider it lazy at the time but really it was just me trying desperately to keep my head above water but because I was working full-time I was like I don't have any money to go to college and I was you know I did have that conversation with Autumn but I was also just watching the other people in my life and how much student debt they were accruing for degrees they either couldn't use or they couldn't make enough money with in order to pay their student loan debt and so I went to a trade school and I became a massage therapist do I still have student loan debt? Yeah, I do. Um, but my schooling was like $18,000 as opposed to $200,000. I, I mean, I have an associate's degree, which honestly, I, I didn't even need that for my line of work. I could have just stopped at a massage certification and spent even less money. But I thought, well, I should have this for my resume. 
did it help me? I don't know, maybe when I got my first couple of jobs, but now I've been doing massage for a decade. I don't think anybody at any place would give two fucks about whether or not I, <laughs> whether or not I have an associate's degree in massage therapy. I think this is one of those things as a, as a society, like we got scammed again so that all of these universities and shit, they could make money by pushing this idea that you have to have this higher education and you should be showing it all of this money towards it. And they were able to start charging more and more and more. I mean, there was, you know, a time in history, not all that long ago where you could go and get a college education and it wouldn't put you so deep in the hole that you'd never get out. That is not the reality anymore. And now we have all of these people that are, we're going through this, this uh, era of disillusionment. We're also seeing that there's, there's so many things that you could do that don't require a degree to actually do. We need to start shifting things societally and letting people find alternate avenues towards finding successful employment. And one of those things I think is, is honestly stop stigmatizing blue collar jobs. We have gotten over the last few decades, this idea that people that work blue collar jobs are somehow lesser than if you're a contractor, if you're a plumber, if you are wait staff, you know, any of those things, if you work in retail, that those are jobs that you only work for a short period of time while you're going to school, but you don't want to do that forever. You don't want to throw away your life on one of those jobs. You know what? Some of those jobs, you can make a shit ton of money, get really good benefits, and you can still get a pension, which in this day and age is starting to be something that's almost unheard of. And they make a ton of money. And yeah, maybe they do work overtime, but corporate people usually work overtime and they're salary jobs. At least when you have this blue collar job and you're part of the union, you work overtime, you're getting time and a half. So this idea that people that work blue collar jobs being somehow beneath people that have a college degree and work a corporate job, you know, or have to dress business casual to go to work. I'm sorry, but that's fucking stupid. It's really, really stupid. And there are so many things that we need to be more realistic about when we're talking about college and we're talking about sending kids to college. You can get a degree in damn near anything now, but we really should be talking to kids about being more realistic about, okay, so you want to get a degree in this thing. Are you going to be able to find work doing that? And are you going to be able to find a job with that that will pay you enough so that you can pay off your student loan debt and so that you can still have the lifestyle that you want to lead, whether that's you want to have a house, you want to have kids, whatever it is, are you going to be able to make enough money with this degree that you can actually pay off your debt and be debt free? Because there's a lot of people now who were sold this ideal about college and the opportunities it would provide for them and they can't even get a job in the field that they got a degree in it's it's really really sad and now we are dealing with huge economic issues because there's all of this student loan debt because we were all told you need to go to college you need to get a, at least a four-year de degree and you're even more worthwhile as a human being if you have a graduate degree get the highest level of education that you can it doesn't matter what it's in you'll find a job somehow we got lied to we got scammed and it's it's bullshit it's really bullshit and it's hurt a lot of people
Yes. And I'm not saying anything against education because I love education. But what we are talking about is a degree, which is a piece of paper that you purchase. That's that's what this is. You're purchasing this piece of paper. You're purchasing it with your time and you're purchasing it a lot with your money. And there is definitely a need for degrees or education. You know, doctors, lawyers, there's a lot of professions out there that you need a higher education. You need to have an understanding of these basic concepts in order to be working in that field. And again, if that resonates with you, great, do that. Follow your dream, even at the cost of student loan debt. But if it does not resonate with you, don't follow it. Don't just take education at face value. If this is something you want to do and it's honestly a degree you want to pursue and you believe it's something worthwhile in your life that you can do something with, do it. But otherwise, when when the world says, you know what, you, you should really go to college, you should get that degree. Ask yourself, should I? Do I need that? Is that going to benefit me? Is that worth my fucks? Because that's really what all this is. Societal messages, that's all we're asking is you look at that societal message, you acknowledge it's there and you say, you know what? Is that worth my fucks? Is it? Is it really? Another thing to keep in mind too is that in a lot of those really valuable trades, there are shortages of workers because we've stigmatized that so much that we now don't have enough people to do those essential jobs. And I'm not talking about essential in terms of COVID. Um, I'm talking about just jobs that need to get done. We all need, unless you know how to do everything yourself, we're all going to need somebody to fix our car or deal with our, you know, our, our heat and air conditioning or do a home inspection or do a remodeling job for us. Unless you are so competent that you know how to do absolutely everything and you have tons of time on your hands to do that. Those people are valuable. We need to stop looking down on people too that work in retail or our hairdresser or our wait staff or that fix our cars for us. Like that's another reason why it's so damaging is because we have now looked down on those jobs so much that there's no one to fill those jobs and we rely on those people. Another area that we also get messages from is our families. You know, society is this big thing. It's this big entity. And sometimes it's separate enough from us that we can acknowledge, you know, this is a message that's not congruent with my life that doesn't resonate with me. This is not a priority I'm willing to spend a fuck on. Sometimes I think it's harder to do, though, when they are messages that our family has given us. Because every one of us was raised within some sort of family unit. Even if you didn't have a mother and a father, even if you were growing up in the foster care system, there was a family unit. Even if it's a social worker or a different mother every few years or months, that's still some sort of family unit. And those family units and those peer groups, they gave you messages. And, and they give you basic stuff, you know, such as like religion or politics or how you behave or what socioeconomic status you should be in. And a lot of times they even reinforce you know, life messages such as what career you should have or if you should get a higher degree or if you should live in the suburbs or the city. We all get messages, you know, even in our dysfunctional family that was so skewed and so weird and so contradictory, even we got messages. And our parents, they kind of taught us that like, well, fuck keeping up with the Joneses and fuck being normal and you should want to be weird and people should know who you are because you distinguish yourself by being so different. And so I think that's part of the reason why Autumn and I you know, kind of buck a lot of those societal standards and expectations, because that was part of how we were raised. It was like, no, you don't be like everybody else, because 
that's dumb. Why would you be like everybody else? You should be trying to set yourself apart. People should think you're a little bit mysterious and odd and eccentric. But like, I look at that compared to how my boyfriend was raised and his family is, you know, his parents immigrated from China. And so when they moved to the States, part of them carried, you know, obviously those those values from their own culture of hard work and things like that. But I know one of the, the things that Calvin always talks about as to why he's, he's so American Americanized is because when they moved to the States, his dad's attitude was, no, we have moved to another country. We are now Americans. So we will do everything that we need to do to assimilate into to American culture, even to the point of going to church. And his dad's not even religious, but his dad thought based on his ideas of the US when he was in China, that everybody in the US is religious. So you go to church because that's what people in the US do. So Calvin was taught a lot growing up about conforming to the culture that you're in, whereas I was brought up a lot more along the lines of, no, fuck the, cul the culture that you're in and be different. So that really highlights how, you know, people can come from these drastically different backgrounds and they get these drastically different messages from their families in terms of how you interact with society. Like every family has its way of being like, okay, this is what we agree with with society, or this is what we're saying fuck you to society about, or whatever. So your family dictates a lot of how you function in the world as an adult, for sure. And, and so this, these are messages that your family gives you. You know, they're little things and they're big things, but they just become part of your mentality and they can be so hard to change. And I think another another big thing, the idea of what family even means. Ivy and I were trying to, really trying to come up with, you know, okay, we should give an example of what family means. And we couldn't. We sat there and thought on it. And we're like, I have no fucking idea what family means. When I hear people say, oh, can't give up on them because they're family, or I know they're hurting me, but they're family. I don't fucking get that. I don't get what you mean by that. And I understand that your family gave you this definition of what family means. But because we were so dysfunctional, because we were so fucked up, because there was so much contradiction in our lives, I have no idea what family means. I really don't. I have no concept. And I feel like I got so many conflicting messages about what family means growing up too, because we grew up Mormon. And Mormons are all about family. That's the whole thing. So when we would go to church, I would see all these big families where there'd be like five, six, seven, eight, 12 kids, whatever. And they would seem like they were really close, whether they were or not, I don't know. But that was the image I was presented. And then I'd go home and our family was batshit crazy and we hated each other. And then I would go to a friend's house and their family was, you know, a smaller family. It's like two kids and they would have like game nights and family dinners together. And I'm like, I don't know which one of these is what family is supposed to be. And I still am weird about family. Whenever I go over to Calvin's parents' house with him, they're super sweet to me. They're, they're very kind to me and very welcoming. I still get really, really anxious and nervous. And it's because I don't know what's expected of me because I don't know what family is. And the every time people try to explain to me what family is, I'm like, yeah, I can't relate to that. I don't get that at all. Because to me, family means fuck all nothing. Sharing the same genetics as somebody means nothing to me. I don't care. I have no sense of loyalty to somebody just because we have the same genetics or the same bloodline. I mean, <laughs> to the point that like family to me has such negative connotations 
that the idea of doing things for somebody just because they're family and putting up with toxic bullshit just because they're a family member. It's like, that's like having a booger st stuck to your finger that you can't shake off. I'm like, this is just gross. It's gross and I can't get rid of it. And I feel dirty now. I don't want to be here. Like that is what family is to me. Like I don't consider autumn to be family because family is negative to me. I don't like that word. It makes me uncomfortable. Like it's worse to me than the word fuck. Like you can cuss all day long, but you say family and I'm like, Ugh. that's a naughty word. We don't say that word. So yeah, family is what family means to you is going to be very different based on the sort of family that you grew up in. And that really uh, sets a lot of ideas for you in general for your life too, I think. It does. And I think in some ways, I, based on what you said and like, I'm all agreeing with it. I'm like, yeah, that's creepy family. That's weird. I think we got some very negative ideas, if not very coherent ideas about what family is. But I think in some ways, the lack of coherency has been very beneficial for us because we've been able to define our family. You know, I, years ago, I, I told Ivy, you know, is I, I like you and I would like to interact with you. And the fact that we popped out of the same vagina kind of irrelevant. I, I don't really care. So she has my same blood. And I, I don't get why that matters. I don't get that it matters that we saw the inside of the same womb. I don't get how that connects us. What I do get how that connects us is that we were there for each other when it mattered. You know, we were going through a traumatic a traumatic raising and I was there to, for her to support her and we were trying to find our ways in life and we were each there for one another to support us. And so for me, I was able to define family not based on you know vaginal or semen connection or even the fact that we lived in the same household but on the fact of the behaviors that were entailed to it and so for me that's that's kind of what i did i think that was beneficial i think part of the fact we have such negative definitions and feelings around family is because we did definitely get what our expectations were in the family I feel like that was something that was very clearly laid on us. And this is what every family gives you, normative or dysfunctional, it doesn't matter. Your family will tell you, usually not in words, just in behavior, you know, what your role is in that family and what's expected from you. And I know for me, I was expected to be an enabler. That's what I was there for. I was expected to, at 13, give up all of my identity give up any friends I had, give up any um, development of myself so that I could take care of my mother and my father and the entire household and allow them to have their issues. So my father could continue being a narcissist and meeting his needs for a messiah complex. And my mom could continue to be an alcoholic and an addict and depressed and not function. And I would be the one to step in and do that. And that was my role. That was the expectation. And maybe the expectation is not that dramatic for you. Maybe it's more you're expected to be there when I call you. You're expected to come home for Christmas or you're expected to take care of your little sister or you're expected to take over the farm. There's a whole range of expectations. But I definitely think every family gives you this expectations about what your roles are. And if you love your family or you feel connected or you identify with that, family, and I do air quotes with that, if you identify with that family idea, whatever that is, those expectations are going to pull on you a lot. And that's not always a, a negative 
thing. I mean, Autumn and I have really bad negative connotations with family, but I have friends of mine who are very close to their families and they can't even imagine moving a town away from their family because it means that they would see them, you know, every other day instead of every day. One of my my very close friends, and she's one of the most amazing people I've ever met, and she's the one that I mentioned before that's a single mom and she takes care of her son and she's a hard worker and she's always positive and bubbly and she's just amazing and I adore her. One of the things that she will eventually become responsible for is taking care of her younger sister who is, has a, a, um, a series of different health related issues and developmental issues. She will never be able to be self-sufficient. So when my friend's mom dies, she will then become responsible for taking care of her sister and that will be her role for her entire life for as long as she's around or as long as her sister is around. And that's in addition to taking care of her own son and raising her own son. And she does not view that as a burden at all. She adores her sister and she loves her mom and she loves her family. And that is something that she has embraced to the point where she won't even consider getting into a relationship with a man unless he is able to accept and love her family the same way that she does and to embrace that role with her. And I find that to be a really beautiful thing. I can't relate to it because my relationship with my family is you know, overall so bad and my idea of what family is is so negative. But I look at I look at my friend and if she hadn't if she didn't have those family ties or whatever, she probably would have moved to Japan at some point, at least lived there for a few years because she's obsessed with Japanese culture and anime and all those things. And she's very adventurous. She's a hairstylist. She likes to do all sorts of crazy, fun, cool things. And she either, you know, probably would have moved to one of the coasts and lived in a big city, or she would have moved to Japan and lived in Tokyo for a while or whatever. But she has never really left her, her hometown area. And that's because her connection to her family runs so deep and her love for her family runs so deep that she can't even imagine leaving. So even though Autumn and I have negative thoughts on family. We're not saying that family is a negative thing. Some people have a beautiful relationship with their family and they have these expectations placed on them to be caregivers or to be connected to their family or to live close to their family. And they embrace that. And I think that's wonderful. And I sometimes envy that. Uh, but it, it, I mean, it doesn't apply to everybody though. So, I mean, you have to prioritize. We're talking about our, our fucks. <laughs> you have to prioritize how much of your energy and resources you want to invest in family. Do you invest in it because you feel obligated or do you invest in it because these people mean so much to you? And, and that is really the reality when you're talking about investing your fucks. If you spend a fuck on this, you're not going to have it to spend on something else. So if you choose the family, you know, that message or that expectation, that's what you're spending it on. You don't then have it to spend on another dream or another place. And you also have to consider how much you're going to have to invest because those of us that come from toxic families, if you choose to continue to participate in your family and live up to those expectations, that is an extremely high investment for very low return. So are you okay with that? Are you okay with bleeding fucks left and right and center in order to maintain those expectations?
if that's okay with you, do it. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. If you want to participate in a toxic, unhealthy environment and you're okay giving yourself until you can no longer function, that's totally your choice. Just make sure it's your choice. I think that's the big thing. Before we move on from parents, and I just want to make this note, and I know I am not a parent, as I've obviously said, and so a lot of parents out there are going to be like, shut your face, you don't fucking know shit. I accept that. I don't. So listen to this, I think, from the point of a child, from the point of a daughter speaking to a parent, is that if you really love your child, please let them be successful and happy. I don't know how many parents I've seen, especially in normative environments, that they have this idea of what success is. And they have this established idea of what happiness is. And their child tries to be successful and happy in their own definition. And the parents reprimand them and the parents invalidate them because that success and happiness isn't what the parent defined. You know, an excellent example of this is parents that believe you should go to college and become a doctor or a lawyer or something really highfalutin in graduate degree. And the child wants to be a welder or a mechanic. And that's where they're happy. That's the that's the crowd they fit in with. It's the, what they are naturally inclined to do. It's what they're interested in. And when they try to invest in that and when they try to foster those skills and become successful and find happiness in that community, the parent steps in and invalidates and says, oh, no, that's just a waste of time. You need to become a doctor. You need to become a lawyer. Parent, that is your definition of happy and that is your definition of success. And I ask as a daughter and I ask as a child that you really look at your child, who I hope you raise to be an individual and not just a carbon copy of yourself, and say, you know, what is going to make this child happy and what is going to make this child successful within their own definition. And I feel this is extremely important because I do feel, especially with the generationals where you've got the the baby boomers and you've got your generation X and you've got your millennials and you've got your generation Z, I see a lot of the boomers and the generation X that are trying to get their children to live the same lives they've lived, to make the same choices they've made. Yet I'm looking at your lives and you're not happy with them. You're so disappointed in the outcomes that you missed out on and the dreams you didn't follow and the society that you sold your soul for. You're so disappointed in it, but you're bludgeoning your child to fit in with that. Why? Why are you doing that? That's what I ask as the child. Why are you doing that? Why are you asking me to give up on my dreams like you gave up on yours? Why are you asking me to sell my soul when you never wanted to sell yours? If you love me, why do you not want me to be happy? And so I do ask that. And now I will say, of course, with that, of course, balanced pragmatism. You are a parent. And if you are a good parent, you love your kid and you want them to be successful and happy. And you also know that sometimes dreams are stupid. Okay. (laughs) They just are. You know, if your kid wants to be a rock star and he can't carry a tune in a bucket and he has no presence on stage and he can't play an instrument to save his life and he's never going to be able to, Maybe, you know, you try to foster a plan B and you try to reroute that somewhere else. Maybe they could be an audio mix specialist. Maybe they could do lights. Maybe they could do a lot of other things that's not a rock star. So, of course, balance that with pragmatism. Don't just support any idiotic idea that gets into your kid's head. But I do ask that as a parent, when your child diverges from your definition of happiness and success, stop and ask yourself, you know, is that definition the only right definition? 
Or is it possible that I could support my child in being happy and successful, even though I may not understand how they define that? And, and I feel that's really what we've been speaking to all along, which is just simply ask yourself about these. We're not saying any definition is right. We're not saying any expectation is right or wrong. Any dream is right or wrong. The world is so much more gray than that. But there are all of these messages that you are given and we just accept them and we don't think about them. And that's what Ivy and I are saying. Open your eyes and accept them. Look for these messages. What are you operating on? And once you identify that message, is it right for you? I, I read a, there's this one of the brief little joke thing at the end of a Reader's Digest article years ago, and it stuck with me, is this woman was making a pot roast, you know, and her husband was there and helping her out. And she took the pot roast and she cut two inches off the end of the pot roast and she set it aside. And the husband was like, well, why do you do that? Well, you don't need to cut that off. And she's like, oh, no, this is how you have to make a pot roast. And he's like, no, you don't, because he'd seen his own mom make one. He's like, this doesn't even make sense. And she's like, no, it is. I'll, I'll call my mom and I'll show you. And so she calls up her mom and says, mom, when you make a pot roast, you have to cut these two inches off the bottom of it, right? And mom's like, yeah, of course you do. And, and the husband chimes in. He's like, no, you don't. Why are you doing this? And she's like, I don't know. That's what my mom always did. So they get grandma on the phone and they're like, grandma, when you make a pot roast, you have to cut two inches off, right? And grandma's like, yeah, because the pot I had to make pot roast in when you guys were growing up was not big enough. So I had to cut the two inches off so that I could fit it in there. And so they got this tradition passed down that made no absolute sense. But they kept doing it because it was just a message. It was just the way things are, and they never stopped to question it. And in that case, it was just a pot roast. It's not a big deal. But we do get these messages that they aren't true. And I think it's also really funny, and I think that's why relationships can be so beneficial, especially when you come from different worlds, because sometimes you both get these messages that you never questioned, and they're different. And then you look at each other and be like, wait, who's right here? I think Ivy has an example of that. She was telling me the other day about something like hey, that. Uh, and it's the, the pot roast story actually makes, makes me laugh because when this event occurred between Calvin and I, that was actually what I thought of because I had remembered that story all these years too. So Calvin gets cranky with me all the time because I put our soy sauce in the refrigerator and he's like, but it doesn't belong in the refrigerator. I'm like, but it does. And he's like, well, why does it belong in the refrigerator? Because my family always kept it in the refrigerator. Of course, it belongs in the refrigerator. And of course, he, he plays the Asian card on me, which he totally can because he's Chinese. And he's like, no, it doesn't need to be refrigerated. We use soy sauce every day when I was a kid. My family's Chinese. You don't have to refrigerate it. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you do. And we went back and forth about this several times. It has been a disagreement with, between us many times now. And I tried to settle it one day by looking at the label on the soy sauce because I want to prove to him that it has to be refrigerated. And the bottle said that you're supposed to refrigerate it. And I was like, see, it is supposed to be refrigerated. And he was like, well, that's stupid. It must be that stupid American soy sauce because Chinese soy sauce never has to be refrigerated. We always kept it in the pantry. And even though we have concluded that obviously you don't have to refrigerate it because nobody in his family ever got sick from eating unrefrigerated soy sauce. I still put it in the refrigerator. He still leaves it on the counter because it's just so ingrained in both of us that this is what you do. And there are so many things that you don't even think about like with that. I, I've gotten pissed off at partners in the past for putting peanut butter in the refrigerator. Who the fuck puts peanut butter in the refrigerator? 
you leave it on the shelf, put it in the refrigerator, it gets all hard and gross. But I mean, it's things like, <laughs> it's just things like that. So soy sauce is my equivalent of the roast beef. <laughs> and really Calvin should be considered right because, you know, he is Chinese, so he, he would know better than I would. But I still put the soy sauce in the refrigerator because in my mind, that's where it belongs. <laughs> And that's that's just the reality of it, too, is we do get these messages. And even sometimes once you recognize them, you're still committed to them. And that's OK. And and maybe you will have a constant fight about soy sauce or pot roast for the rest of your relationship. But sometimes these messages are bigger and they will land you in two hundred thousand dollars worth of debt you don't need or into a toxic marriage you didn't want. So you need to just be able to recognize these messages that you're given. So. That's where budgeting your fucks really, really starts at is saying, what is even worth spending for me? You know, is it this? Is it the education? Is it the family? Is it the job? Is it the keeping up with the Joneses? Figure out what those messages are pushing you to, figure out what those expectations are. And then ask yourself, is this what I want for my life? Is submitting to this expectation, is spending my fucks on that particular expectation? going to get me where I want to go. That's that's the first part. The second part then is coping with it cuz even once you figure out what you want to spend your fucks on, you still got to you still got to spend them and that's just as stressful. So next episode we are going to get into some of the nitty-gritty actual coping skills that Ivy and I have used over the years to cope with reduced functioning. But for today, we are going to go ahead and wrap up. Ivy is going to throw you our connecty bits as she always does <laughs> i love that nobody no matter how many times i say pluggables you still are like connecty bits and she does finger guns almost every time <laughs> every time okay i am committed to being different my family told me i should be different fuck pluggables committee okay. bits <laughs> connecty bits not committees connecty bits i was just about to call you on that now it's committee bits <laughs> But still with the finger guns, you got to do the finger guns. Autumn, you need to be, you need to be, uh, um, oh God, I lost the word I was going to say. You need to be as dedicated to the finger guns as you are to being different in general. Anyway, okay. So yes, you can find us on Facebook as Different Functional. You can find us on both Instagram and TikTok as different underscore functional. You can find us on Twitter as diff underscore functional. You can also find us on our website, www.differentfunctional.com. I don't know if you guys are catching a theme here, but different functional isn't everything for us. You can find us in those spots. Please, if you're enjoying the podcast, like, subscribe, follow, leave a comment. It would really help us out if you were enjoying our podcast, if you would spread the word about us, because word of mouth is still the most... Uh, most powerful form of marketing. So if you guys could help us out with that and you're enjoying what you hear, that would be awesome. And if you want to monetarily support us, we are on Patreon as, can you guess, different functional. So uh, <laughs> we will talk. And I just, I just want to say, just to remind everybody out there that Ivy and I do have reduced functioning and we do have a limited amount of fucks. And so we are spending some of those limited amount of funks out here to do the podcast and we love doing it and it does rejuvenate us some but we would love to have more fucks to spend on this podcast so any support you can offer will allow us more fuckage to spend here yes 
Just wanted to say that. Yes. I, I agree. Also, just wanted to say fuckage because <laughs> I didn't get to say that in the episode. I'm really glad you did because I have never said fuckage or heard it. And now I feel like I've been missing out my entire life. Fuckage is my new form of currency and I love it. So yes, please support us if you are enjoying this. And if you're not enjoying this, you're probably not even listening anymore. But if you like us and you want to help us out, spread the word, go to Patreon, check us out on, on our social media, follow, like, subscribe, do all of that stuff. We would really appreciate it. And we will talk to you guys next time about coping with your lack of fucks. If you have a lack of them, like we do. Remember, different does not mean defective. Thank you, everybody. My, my.